Hey, Tribe, did you know the average business is missing out on 50% more sales? If you're an ambitious female entrepreneur who is leveling up this year and your path is to grow beyond seven figures, I have an invitation for you. Every month I open my calendar up for a few lucky business owners to take advantage of a rev up your revenue assessment. You may not know this, but only 2% of sales close on that first contact or the first sales call. And most entrepreneurs are missing out on tens of thousands of dollars in additional revenue every month because they don't have a repeatable process that nurtures those other 98% of leads who just aren't ready to say yes yet. Like most businesses, you may even fall into that roller coaster cycle of feast or famine, or maybe you're just randomly bringing on new clients, but you don't know where they're coming from and why they're choosing you. If that's the case, let's find out if there are clients and dollars that you may be overlooking with a rev up your revenue assessment. In the assessment, we dive into your sales processes, identify low-hanging fruit, develop a simple and repeatable process for you to close clients like clockwork, and give you the action steps that you can implement right away. So if this sounds like something you want to take advantage of, because there are only a few slots, click the Rev Up Your Revenue Assessment link in the show notes. Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Tribe of Leaders. I am your host, Emmy Kirshner, and today we are graced with a two-time Olympic assistant coach to the Canadian women's basketball team. I cannot believe that my guest, Shawnee Harley, which I love your name, Shawnee. That's like, it's just so beautiful and super fun to say, but I cannot believe that you had that incredible experience and you've now transitioned all of of your expertise into helping athletes and their parents learn how to win from within. So Shawnee, welcome to the show. And I am really excited to have you here. Yeah, let's do this. Right? (laughs) All right. So I'm just going to jump right in because we were talking about this before we started to record. Tell me about the Olympics. Like, I can't even fathom the excitement, the like the nervousness, the pressure, the joy, being there once, never mind twice, and being able to coach an entire team of women must have been phenomenal. So what was it like? You know, when you get these once in a lifetime 
experiences. You know, I, I got to have it twice. Certainly the Olympics in Rio in 2016 are very, still very fresh because it wasn't really that long ago. The reason that I love this story is because I got to experience the highest of highs and the lowest of lows all in one Olympics. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the highest of highs. Before our first game, they introduce the players and everyone, and, and you stand out there and you face your flag and they play the national anthem. I can remember standing there bawling my eyes out because it just hit me. It was the highest of highs. I'm like, I am here. Like everything that I've been working for, for 30 years, I'm here. I did it. We did it. I've arrived. And yeah. it just it just made me so incredibly emotional, grateful. Mm -hmm. It was one of the highlights of my life for sure. That is incredible. Tell me about the people that you met and the women on the team that you're coaching too. Like, what were they like? And what does it take to be an Olympian? These women, I have just never been around a group of athletes. Like when you're around a group of Olympians, like, like think of it, it's the, it's the top of the pinnacle, right? You can't go any higher than that. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I, I think these women make them so remarkable, it takes so much intention, focused intention to be able to get to an Olympic Games. Think about how many people want to get there and never get there. Mm -hmm. These women have something that's more than talent and more than physical ability. They have a grit, they have a resilience, they have a determination, and they have an ability to make sacrifices to get what they want. And it is the most motivating environment. Like talk about make you raise the bar. Every day you wake up, you're around these Olympians. It's like, holy cows, people. Mm -hmm. Time to step it up today, Shawnee. Here we go. It raises the bar for everyone. That vibration, when you're in it, you feel it. Mm -hmm. And it was it's set by these amazing women. That's so cool. And Perfectly said, because I happened across a podcast yesterday where the coach that coaches Michael Phelps was on and he was talking about Michael's workout routines and everything and what sets him apart. And he said, one of the things that sets him apart is that on any day, Michael's average of where he shows up on a scale of one to 10 is an eight. He's like, yeah, you know, obviously he has tens in there and yes, he has bad days where sometimes he shows up as a four, but those are like months apart. And I have to presume that it's similar for these women where like they're just showing up at such a high level all the time because that's what creates the excellence. I call it high performance habits. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, one of the biggest, most important high performance habits is the practice of self-discipline. Mm -hmm. That means doing the things that we know we that we don't want to do, yeah, but should. we know we should. <laughs> These women, the practice of self-discipline, the high-performance habits is unbelievable. I've watched these women in the weight room. I've watched them do 
these workouts after we've already had a two-hour practice, I watch that the level that they bring to everything. The workload, the training load to be an Olympian, it's, it's off the charts. Mm-hmm. And these women step up every single day, no matter if they feel like it or not, no matter if they're tired or not, no matter if they're stiff and sore from yesterday, here they are every day showing up with the practice of self-discipline. They're high perform. Well, there's a reason they're Olympians, right? High performance habits. And not everyone wants to do those because the sacrifices are huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I presume they miss a lot of social time parties and a lot of things that the rest of us just take for granted as being part of normal life. Is that true? My observations watching them is to be an Olympian requires a singular focus and that helps them get to where they're, where they want to be as athletes. But the singular focus also has a cost and the cost is a normal life. (laughs) A cost is friends and family and and many of them during the winter when they're not playing with our national team they're in a foreign country playing professional basketball where they have to learn a new language a new culture they're away from family and friends and home and all of the comforts that a normal life brings so they have a singular focus they are aware of the cost of that focus but they're willing to pay it which is incredible Yeah. Now I want to circle back because you said that being at the Olympics was the highest high and you know, you had a low point too. Do you mind sharing what that is and what the contrast kind of looks like for you? The lowest low was actually, you know how sometimes things happen in our life where the lowest low feels like you're never going to breathe again, never going to, it just feels like the sun's not going to come up the next day. Like you have those those moments in your life where it's so low Mm -hmm. and then you actually figure out that that's the springboard to where you're meant to be. Well, I had one of those. (laughs) The Olympics after I had the highest high and I'm standing in front of the flag and I'm crying and I'm like, holy cows, I'm here. We did it. And I would say it was maybe 10, probably 10 days later, the lowest low came and we had been working our way through the Olympics And coming into this game, we were killing it. We were rocking it. We were upsetting teams. We were winning. It was so unbelievably exciting. Like I couldn't even sleep at night. It was waiting for the next day. And we were on this roll. We got all the way to the quarterfinals. When you get to the quarterfinals, like you have no idea what a big deal that is. Because if you win that game, you are going to play for a medal in your next game. And the good news about that quarterfinal was we were playing a known opponent. I think we'd beaten that opponent already three times in the previous 16 months. So it's like, wow, boom, here we go. And first half, we are rolling. We're up 20 at halftime. And then you know how sport goes sometimes. Yeah. And the tide started to change. And I could feel it changing. I saw it. I felt it. And we ended up losing that game by five points. And without a doubt, oh my gosh, I can still feel it. Without a doubt, some of the 
darkest moments of my coaching career. And the reason for it, when I look inside and I speak the truth, is because I know we choked. What was harder for me then is I know I choked on the biggest day, the biggest stage of my life. I didn't get it done. I was afraid. And that fear caused me to become internal and isolated. And we lost to a team that I feel we should have beaten. And you can imagine how that feels, right? You're at the Olympics. And I think the heart, the things that were so hard for me was I felt I let those athletes down. Those women that had been sacrificing their lives for this singular focus and this moment, and I couldn't help them. I let them down. Mm-hmm. I felt like I let our country down. I felt like I let myself down. Whew. That took me a long time to process that, to come to terms with that, to really do some deep self-reflection and face the truth. Mm-hmm. And that led me to what I'm doing today. Which is amazing. And I want to get to that. I have one question though, in that if you had to do it all over again, is there a way you could have, and I'm air quoting for everybody here, you could have stopped yourself from choking. I mean, the the pressure is immense, right? Everything's on the line when you're getting particularly into those final rounds. You know, I've looked back at that moment so many times. And I think one of the things that's helped me accept it is when I look back, I did the best that I could. I was missing some tools. Right. So I couldn't have done it differently. I mean, Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you do better. Right. I know better now, but I didn't know better then. One thing I really look back on that I think hindered me and us, we had done a lot of winning leading up to it. Like the the previous year and a half, we'd done a lot of winning, which is so awesome. I love winning. (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) But you know what? This is what I learned. Winning can be a great deodorant because it covers up the smelly stuff. And there's always some smelly stuff there. And when you're winning, it's like, who cares that there's smelly stuff? We're winning. Yeah. But when things shift and the momentum changes and the storm comes and the smelly stuff hasn't been handled, the stink is right there. And I could see some things at the time that we hadn't handled and it was too late. Right. But there wasn't anything I could do about it then because I didn't have the tools. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you for darn sure, after that happened, I'm like, you know what? That was the worst experience I've ever had in my life. I'm going to help people not have that experience. I'm going to help people not choke. I'm going to help people rise on the biggest day, the biggest stage of their life, not right. run. And is that how you use that experience as the springboard and, and leading to what you're doing now with helping kids? Yes, because I look around. I mean, I've been involved in sport my whole life. Choking happens all the time. Oh, yeah. People underperform all the time. All the time. Well, and I've spoken on stages and more than once, you know, I've choked. It doesn't matter how much I've prepared or not or what was going right or wrong or anything else. I've still you know, fumbled over words or forgotten what I was going to say. And most of the time I've been able to recover, but sometimes it's just, it's a crappy performance. Well, I'll tell you what, what I've done with that day that springboarded me is I look back and I'm like, okay, 
This is fixable. People, we don't have to choke when the chips are down, but we sure as heck need a toolkit. And I will, my, I've made it a mission to become a disruptor in the sport industry because sport does not give us a toolkit. Fake it till you make it. That is not a toolkit. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's not a freaking toolkit. It's an avoidance I, behavior. Yeah, I don't know anybody who has faked it till they made it and faked it well because you're uncomfortable. And if you're uncomfortable, you're not going to win and you're not going to perform well. The disruption that I'm working on and I'm teaching all of my clients is I call it, we have to look hard at the F words. Mm. And the F words are fear and feelings. And sport teaches us to do the opposite. Fake it till you make it. Just get out there and be confident. That's the worst freaking advice I've ever heard in my life. Because what that's saying is, here's another F word. Get out there and be fake. You know what? It's a Band-Aid on a wound that needs surgery. Mm -hmm. And what I learned from my experience, if I had to do it again, what held me back was fear. It was fear that held me back. And we don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to handle that emotion, that feeling. Well, we don't know how to handle feelings in general in sport. Oh, yes, we do. The happy ones. Let's <laughs> celebrate and rejoice in the happy ones. And let's avoid and shove the other ones under the carpet. I'm a disruptor with that because I think emotional intelligence is one of the most important tools that we can have in our toolkit and in anything that we do. Mm -hmm. But sports says, oh, no, don't have this package of feelings over here. So I'm like, oh, so you're telling me to not be emotionally intelligent. You're telling me to be emotionally unintelligent. Don't look at all of these negative feelings that sport brings. That's what happened to me. I didn't know how to deal with all of the feelings that were uncomfortable, fearful, anxious, and nervous. And sport brings those to us all the time. So what I teach is, okay, those things aren't going away. I call it the, the two contrasts, happy and crappy. Sport's going to bring us both. Crappy's going to always be there. So let's manage it instead of running and avoiding it. I love what you're saying here because... It aligns with life in general, and it aligns in growing your business too really well because no matter how well you plan, no matter what you do, some crappy's going to come in at some point. Like that's just life. That's just the way things are. And if we're prepared to experience that, at least in my experience, the crappy's less crappy. I love it because I've had to build a business I was an athlete and a coach. I'm not yeah. a, I wasn't a business person. I had to figure it out. And holy cows, the bucket load of crappy that yeah. gets dumped. And you're right. This is, I love this part. You said the crappy doesn't feel quite as crappy. Mm -hmm. What I believe is that when we get this toolkit to manage crappy, our tolerance increases. Mm -hmm. So the crappy doesn't go away we get better at tolerating it, managing it, and moving through it, not around it, through it. Exactly. And in those moments where you feel like you're having all the air sucked out of your existence, you know it's not forever. Yes. It may okay. still be happening, but you know that like at some point you're going to be able to breathe again. And for me, I find that comforting. 
I like the phrase for me and what I teach my clients. I believe we can tolerate anything when we know it's temporary. Mm -hmm. Right. But we have to have the emotional intelligence to know what's going on inside. That's why I use the tagline win from within. We have to know what's going on inside and understand it, Mm -hmm. look at it, face it, manage it, move through it and learn from it. I didn't do any of that in Rio. (laughs) 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 My grandpa has had this saying when I was little, he'd be be like, Shawnee, so soon old, so late smart. I'm like, dang it, that's true. I got smart late. Well, better than not at all. I agree. It's allowed you to be here and share your voice, which is fantastic. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the kids that you're helping because you have a very unique way of doing this. And it's that you don't just work with the kid. You include the parent too. Let's talk about that, what that looks like and why that's so important for you. Well, I think to to grow an athlete, which is I'm using the context that I'm working in right now. I really think it takes a village. It's way harder than it was when I was an athlete growing up. The the pressure, I mean, you you use this term with the Olympics, the pressure is immense. The pressure on these young athletes, like the youngest one I have right now in my program is 10 and the oldest is 23. The pressure that all of them feel is enormous. Social media Everything you do is on display and everyone has a freaking opinion about it. Think about how insecure that makes us. Think about the fear that comes in. And so I'm like, parents, we need to do this as a village because this is a really difficult journey. This is not easy. And so I coach the parents so that they have a toolkit to help their athlete grow into the best version of themselves because parents are coaching their kids all the time. Even though they tell me they're not, I'm like, Oh yes, you do. It's called the car ride home when your child can't escape and you lecture them. That's coaching. Well, and parenting is coaching. Oh, so good. All the way around. So good. Right. Like I always, I have two boys who are 20 and 22 now, which astounds me on a regular basis, but I always thought of myself more as a guider than a dictator or who, you know, I'm just making the rules. I gave them a lot of opportunities to mess up young and as early as I could, you know, and intentionally do that so that I could coach them through it. Like, please take this thing and go, you know, do the wrong thing with it was pretty much what I was handing them with so that they could. But I think a lot of people don't, they get too too wrapped up in their own story and fear for their kids and their kids having bad experiences that then they're projecting a lot of what they are worried about onto their kids. Well, it's clear to me, you know, your expertise, you're, you're definitely not normal. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're so bang on. What I'm helping parents figure out is, so we've been talking in, uh, my my private Facebook group about the concepts of over-functioning and under-functioning. And every parent in the group, when they first come in, they're over-functioning and their athlete is under-functioning. And I'm right. like, so how's, how's this working? So that means you're doing more, they're doing less. Right. How do you think that's going to go down the road? And I'm helping the parents in this group figure out when is an appropriate time to allow natural consequences to kick in. 
Because in general, we try to save our kids, our athletes from their feelings. We don't want anything bad to happen. So we snowplow, we helicopter, all of those phrases, we know what they mean. And I'm helping parents say, this is the best time to step back, to let some natural consequences kick in. And when I say natural consequence, I'm not talking about things that are life and death. I'm like, you know what? They slept in and they were late for practice. Oh, well, that's a great natural consequence. And because they were late for practice, they got pulled from the starting lineup. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. I like missed the bus because you didn't get up on time. Walk to school. (laughs) You got me. Or they didn't make their lunch. I think it wouldn't hurt them if they had to go hungry for an hour or two. And it's so neat seeing these parents go, oh my gosh, I'm over-functioning in everything. And wow, what? So I asked them, what can you let go of? What makes perfect sense for your athlete to do? I said, just give me two things. Two things that you'll take off your list that you will stop over-functioning. Give it to your athlete so they can start functioning, highly functioning. With the athletes, what I'm working on is high-performance habits. I mentioned this already about Olympians because I know where high-performance habits are going to take us. They're going to take us to the podium. And the most important podium is the podium of life. So I'm trying to get these athletes to step up in their life. And I need the parents' help to do that because I need them to step back. Who takes longer to make the shifts, the parents or the kids? Oh, this is so good. So, <laughs> you know what? so on our last Zoom call, so I use the concept. If any of your listeners want a wonderful resource with this, Trevor Reagan, uh, his website is The Learner Lab. He has changed everything that I do and how I think. He uses a concept of, do you want to hide in the zoo or grow in the jungle? Oh, that's right. Okay. And... Anyway, we come on this Zoom call and I talk, share share this concept. And I'm like, okay, athletes, how many of you are hiding in the zoo? And every other, because I explain, oh, they're like, oh, yeah, that's me. And I'm like, oh, you must love it in there because you have the world's most amazing zookeeper. And they do everything for you. And you just have to hang out in there on your lawn chair, sipping lemonade and checking your social media. What a life. So then I, so they get, and you know, I say it lightly and, and right. we talk about it. And then I'm like, okay, here's your next task. Fire your zookeeper, fire your zookeeper. And then I say this, and you're not going to do that in a million freaking years because the zookeeper is the most convenient thing in your life right now. So I asked them, what are you willing to fire your zookeeper from? And so a lot of them will say things like making my lunch, making my bed, et cetera, et cetera. But when I go and follow up with them, I'm like, how's that going? And they're like, yeah, well, it's not that fun. I really like the zookeeper. I'm like, I know. So go ahead and have your zookeeper, but then lower your goals for where you're going in your life because a zookeeper will always hold you back. So it's hard for them. Now you ask me about the parents. I had one of the parents come in the Facebook group and said, I got fired from making lunches. And the parent is like, hallelujah, post this in the Facebook group. Two days later, same parent comes in and goes, Shawnee, I'm having a really tough time being fired. I am learning that there's something about making lunches that makes me feel valued. I'm part of the team, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, bam, now we're talking. That's emotional intelligence. 
So who is it hard for? It is hard for both because overfunctioning works for the parents and underfunctioning works for the athlete. So what I point them toward is we have to be willing to do hard things if we want to develop high performance habits. Mm-hmm. I love this. I mean, I love your stories, but you're so right on. And, and again, everybody who's listening, whether you have a business or not, whether you're an athlete or not, like these are lessons that you can take and apply anywhere, anywhere. And it's, it's so funny too, because my younger guy played football and the end of his first year, they have a banquet, they have a banquet every year, but at the end of the first year we go to the banquet, the coach gets up and he's, he's thanking, you know, everybody that is there. And he's like, well, thank the parents, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, especially for washing their uniforms. I'm looking around <laughs> and I'm like, I never washed Matthew's uniforms. There was usually two times a season when it rained and they were in the mud and he didn't know what to do with them because he knew not to put them in the washing machine that I helped him. And he had to figure it out the rest of the time. And he had to get all the grass stains and all the mud and everything else out. And he was the only kid on the team washing his uniform by himself. So he was definitely in the jungle. (laughs) Well, you know what, though? There's another, I think there's another level here. So what I'm helping the parents and the athletes understand is we have to get clarity on the why. Because the what is obvious. So is the how. Mm-hmm. We don't understand the why we may not stay committed to these new behaviors. When I ask the athletes, when your parents do everything for you, do you feel strong or weak? Do you feel empowered or disempowered? Right. Do you feel confident or unconfident? Do you feel competent or uncompetent? And I ask them, how in the world? Are you going to show up as your best self on the biggest day, the biggest stage of your life if you need a zookeeper to save you? This is the why. This is why these behaviors matter. Because to show up when it really matters, we cannot show up weak and disempowered and unconfident. We have to show up competent and courageous. So how are we practicing that? If we have a zookeeper doing everything for us. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's brilliant in the way that you're coaching these kids because all these little habits do matter and it does give them great confidence and that's, what's going to allow them to show up every day in that eight state. And yeah, they'll have the tens bounced out by an occasional four. So yeah. One of my favorite quotes is how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. And with athletes and parents, I tell them, you if you want to show up like an Olympian, but only when you're on the court and then you show up like, I don't know what the word is, mm-hmm. off the court. I said that, I said, I'm just telling you right now, that might work for a while, but the separation is coming. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a separation because the funnel gets narrower at the top, not wider, just like the shape of a podium gets narrower and not wider. Right. We have to bring the, these high performance habits. How you do anything is how you do everything. It goes across our whole life. It's not just when we hit the court, the rink or the pool or the field. The minute we wake up, high performance habits matter. Absolutely. I want to shift gears a little bit because you have something that keeps you up at night. And I wanted to talk about that and, and why it keeps you up at night. 
you know, <laughs> this it just happened to me last night. I I couldn't get to sleep because there's a parent in the Facebook group who is so frustrated with their son and banging their head against the wall and trying all of these things that I'm helping them work on because this parent's son is completely under-functioning in every way, shape, and form. And what keeps me up at night is, look at what I get to do. I, <laughs> I, I get to help people stop underperforming. I get to help parents figure out how to get their kids out of the zoo. I get to help athletes chase and pursue the podium of life and show up as their best self. And I can't even sleep at night sometimes because I'm like, okay, I can't wait to get in that Facebook group tomorrow. I'm, okay, I got it. What am I going to coach that parent on? Like, honestly, I feel like I'm back at the Olympics again. Like in the Olympics, I was up all, like I'd always stay up at night thinking about the game. And now I just have a different game day. Like every night is game day for me because I'm like, man, I can't wait to get up tomorrow and coach people and help people become the best version of themselves. That is amazing and not what I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And you have a really cool gift for everybody too with fit to fierce or excuse me, fear to fierce. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the program that this is the program that keeps me up at night. Dang it. And it's called fear to fierce. And I, I chose that phrase intentionally because of what we've already talked about, right? F words things that sport doesn't want to talk about. And it's a three-month program where the parents come in with their athlete and I take them through my mental toughness tutorials. We have a private Facebook group. We have Zoom sessions, et cetera, et cetera, where I get, remember I said at the very, very beginning, what if we had a toolkit Mm -hmm. to manage crappy, to manage the storms? And so I get three months to help people build this toolkit, parents and athletes. I have a new session opening November 1st, and I have another one opening January 1st. And if people want to come in there and stay awake at night with me, because we're solving problems, we're striving for the top of the podium of life. Oh my gosh, gives me chills. And what are some of the results that the parents and your kids are getting? Because I have to presume that it's pretty amazing. Well, you know what the thing that I love the most is not all of them, like I told you, this one parent is banging their head on the wall and posted in the Facebook group. I want to bonk my athlete on the head while I'm banging my own head on the wall. So the problems are real. We go in there and we speak the truth and we don't solve everything in an hour or a day. But I will tell you some of the gains when I'm just over-functioning and under-functioning and parents firing themselves, athletes firing them. So parents are decreasing that load that is so heavy that they're carrying. That's a huge win. I have, I got to tell you about this one athlete. Oh my goodness. This athlete posted in the Facebook group the other day, we were talking about the difference between, okay, here's emotional intelligence. What if we could teach this to our kids? I didn't have any of this when I was this age. This athlete is 15. Post in the Facebook group the day before yesterday. The first line, I'm done being nice because we had just been having a big conversation about the difference between nice and kind. Nice is actually fake. 
because we act nicely in order to be liked and to gain approval. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about what is the difference between nice and kind. And this athlete comes in and says, I'm done being nice. It's stopping me from showing up as my best self on the court because I'm so worried about what everyone's thinking. I'm trying to fix everything for everyone. And it hinders my performance. She said, I'm committing to kind. And I'm going to have the courage to show up as my imperfect self. Wow. I'm like, what? Are you sure you're 15 years old speaking like that? Uh, They're so much smarter than we give them credit for. I'm like, that's a mic drop. I'm like, my work is done. Now that to me, so there's an emotional intelligence game that I think is so much more important than any wins. I did have another athlete come in and say, hey, Shawnee, I've got my, this is a hockey player. I've got 14 years old. I've got my AAA tryouts in two days and I'm really nervous. Do you have any tips for me? And so we talked about what was going on, what was holding this athlete back, the fear of disapproval, what will coaches think? And so I said, oh, so what what I can tell you're doing is when you're hitting the ice right now, you're playing not to lose, which is different than playing to win. Right. Two days later, the athlete comes back and says, hey, just want you to know I made the triple A team. So this coaching it changes their behavior. And that's what we're trying to do. If you always do what you've always done, you get what you already have. So let's, there's a better mouse trap out there. And I'm just helping equip these athletes and these parents with a better mouse trap to get better results. And it's happening. Oh my, that's why I can't sleep at night. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Shawnee, we have to wrap up. We could go probably for another couple of hours, which seems to be the current stream with a lot of my guests, which maybe I'll have to extend the time of the podcast, but I have had the most amazing time with you. So thank you so much. Like from the bottom of my heart, like this has been a fantastic conversation. I've loved every moment. I, I so much appreciate when I can come in and authentically show up and share my stories and speak from my heart. And I have to practice every time I'm on here, win from within, because it's a lot of vulnerability to tell people about my darkest days. And I want to thank you because I'm so grateful that you're, you've shared that with us because people are going to identify that. And I think one of the things that's so cool is that when you stop being really afraid and stop being fake and you allow the fear to kind of show up in, in really the vulnerability to show up instead of the fear, people latch onto that because they're right there with you. That's so important. And I'm just going to share with everybody too, like go and check out Shawnee's Fear to Fierce program. We've got the link in the bio. And if people want to get connected to you, how can they connect with you? What's the best way? They can connect with me on my website when they follow. I think you said that would be in the notes after. My contact information is in there. I'm on social media. I'm, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and I'm on Facebook. Any of those ways, I'd be happy to have a conversation with people. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on. As I said, I'm so grateful for you sharing your story, especially being vulnerable and open about your darkest moments and how you're helping kids. Because there's, I mean, so many tidbits for everybody to take here and start implementing right now. So thank you. Win from within. Bam. Absolutely. And for all of you listening, 
Thank you for being here and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders.